lots to tell you about before we get stuck in. First up is the Letopia Book Club. Yeah, it's a book club, but not as you know it. Run by the ineffable Jason, who will glide you through this month's selection. Oh, yeah. It's Axie O's The Girl Who Fell Beneath the Sea. And it kicks off exactly one week's time, immediately after next week's pop-ups. In fact, you've still got time to grab yourself a download onto your Kindle or whatever preferred reading device you use and immerse yourself in this beautiful, mesmerising bestseller. Go to club.litopia.com to sign up. And of course, it's free. Now, let me mention our fabulous team of narrators who you're going to hear from in just a few seconds if you're thinking about getting your own audiobook off the ground then you need to choose from a, a, a team of folk who really know their onions they're not just fabulous voice talent they're writers too which means they really care about every single word in your manuscript. Check them out at voice.lithopia.com and get your audiobook off to the best possible start. Well, we've got a brand new publisher for you to meet today, and yes, they are looking for submissions, so now's your chance. Get ready to meet Catherine Tausig from Storm Books right after our first submission. Here it is. It's a one-word title. It's called Thirst, and it's from Spencer. And Spencer describes it as literary fiction. This is Spencer's blurb. The show, uh, the story, follows Ashley Harris as she embarks on a vacation flight to Paris. In the process, she's confronted with uncanny situations of mediocre misfortune. Which compel her to reflect into memories of her past. As these memories become increasingly distressing and indistinguishable from her present, she loses confidence in her sense of reality, believing she may have succumbed to death. It turns out the woman sitting next to her is experiencing the same thing. They need to find a way out. I'm intrigued. Let me tell everybody about um, you, uh, Spencer. I graduated college and spent most of my time trying to find a fit for myself in a world of political activism, you tell us. Uh, I, didn't, um, I didn't quite work out the way I imagined, so in the end I wanted to go to law school, uh, pursue a master's programme, but I was struck by a car, oh dear, while crossing the street and left with a severe concussion which robbed my faculties, temporarily, thankfully, of the necessary focus and swift aptitude to excel on any kind of qualification exam. I decided to try writing, something I've always loved to do in an extracurricular sense, but considered it a daunting path to embark on. It can be, yeah. Seeing the frailty of life can be a powerful motivator to follow your passions. It may have taken almost two years, but I crafted my first novel, which I think this is. Very good. We have a crafted reading from one of our best narrators in the business. It's Emily. Thirst by Spencer. Read by Emily. Chapter 1. Sometimes you catch a particularly smart fruit fly. A tiny one. When it knows you're trying to kill it, it hides under a paper. It really seems to believe that it's safe from you. That it's found a place to hide. But it really has a meaningful grasp of that. And you know, 
because, as you lift up the paper to kill it, the fly panics. It's in panic because it knows it's been found, because it knows it's going to die, and a space it thought was secure was actually a death trap. Yves Charoul, Sur l'humilité de l'angoisse, 1917 Could we get passenger Ashley Harris to the counter? Again? That's Ashley, Harris. If you could please come and see us at the counter. Thank you. Ashley stirred in the impoverishedly cushioned gate seat, wondering what they might want from her. Surely nothing good was ever wanted from a passenger at the front counter before boarding. Ashley, Harris, she meddled within her internal monologue, the chiming of her name through the flight kiosk microphone, has begrudgingly compelled her to again assess the merit of her birth title. She had always thought her name profoundly bland and white, white like slightly melted snow, in the way that each unique snowflake's brittle and distant arm would have been amorphed into a larger amalgamation of more homogeneous ice globs, though at the distance generally viewed by a passerby's eye would seem just as much a perfectly pale landscape of blanket white. Ashley Harris she would have you know her grandfather, on her mother's side, was mostly Semenau, and her grandmother, on her father's side, came from an unbroken line of Persians. She herself was far less white than her name would suggest, she thought. Though, despite her hereditary objections, her tanned skin, and her slightly Asiatic convex eyes, she was nonetheless perceived and treated as white. Her hair, somehow, was even blonde. The older she became, the less she understood how such a thing was possible. Ashley Harris her mom, when pressed, would tell Ashley that she gave her the name she has always wanted for herself. This befuddled child Ashley terribly. Why then, if she felt so attached in envy to this name, didn't she give it to herself? Let child Ashley name herself whatever she wanted, which, throughout most of her childhood, would have been Steve, after her childhood crush Steve Irwin. She was to a reasonable degree thankful she hadn't been granted the agency to rename herself Steve. It was effectively just as bland as Ashley only somehow more socially taboo. She did, though, hope to change her middle name, Eileen, to something else, some name which might give homage to her diverse heritage, maybe something Semenau, though she knew no words of the language. Her grandfather of that lineage had passed away before her birth from thyroid cancer, contracted as a consequence of working with uranium ore for most of his life, and so was deprived of any opportunity to instruct his future granddaughter in the native tongue. As for learning it herself, Ashley would get around to it, eventually, she supposed. The whole undertaking was quite entangled. To change her name, she needed to have a name to change to, like a hermit crab. She could not leave one shell without first securing another, into which she could immediately resettle. To get a new name, she needed, at least to her own standard, to feel worthy of the name she would choose, to learn the language of the Semenau. It was simply a mentally overwhelming endeavour, which spiked a sharp anxiety every time she thought about it. What if she found the words too difficult to pronounce, the alphabet and unique characters too complex to memorise, the resources too scarce or parsed with inaccuracies or ill-will of colonial interpretation? How could she ever even determine such a thing? It was too much for her to think about at this point in her life. She would find the strength to submit this symbolic accomplishment some day. Some other day, hopefully.
And thank you very much, Emily, for getting us off to a very good start. Should we see what the GNI are saying? Uh, they're in, in fine fettle, actually. Enormous numbers of comments going on here. Um, so usually they start by critiquing your blurb, Spencer, and today is no exception. L.A. Thomas says, lose the first three words of the blurb, in which, are, of course, the story follows. And yeah, I don't think blurbs should really start with that, should they? It feels like doesn't like a blurb. It feels like you're describing it to me. Um, Ellie Thomas also says, uh, quite accurately, all memories are from the past. Yes, I suppose they are, except for false memory, of course. Um, and Matt says something I, I picked, I kind of stumbled over, actually, when I, when I read your blurb, because I was just thinking, is, should you really be saying that? <clears throat> and Matt says, I'm not sure you should describe the plot twists in your work as mediocre. Yeah, quite, yeah. Blurb a bit confusing, says Pamela Joe Vagabond. Mm, bit confused by that blurb. Think she's dead is good. Mediocre is bad. Jan says, sounds more like sci-fi. He has got that sort of vibe, hasn't it? Uh, and James says, blurb almost there, Titan, just a twinkle. And Claire thinks there's something interesting hidden in that blurb, I agree. Ally <clears throat> Thomas, I'm getting horror or thriller from the title. Um, and Ally says, I, sus I suspect Spencer may be a fellow overwriter. Oh, yes, it takes one to know one, doesn't it? Eva says, maybe if blurb described... One or two of these distrusting events might be more enticing. And Matt says, title is such an overused word these days. But that might be good. means a lot of different things. Um, and for Pamela, thirst means horny. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Uh, and Lex says, oh, seven all representation points for that. Now we move on to the reading itself, or the first 700 words, of course. And James says, oh, too much telling, too much backstory in the opening. Um, and then he goes on to uh, go into raptures over Emily's accent, as we all do, of course. And Pamela Joe, editing needs to condense the personal description. If this is literary, yeah, you know I've got a bone to pick over that. Um, you have mm. fewer... Uh, you have to have fewer and even better chosen words. And like I said, some great childhood details that inform the character here. But mm, maybe give us some story first. And Annie says, backstory is interesting, but don't trick the reader with being called to the desk if we're not finding out why a little sooner. I agree with that. I felt that too. Should we see what Johnny thought? Yeah, particularly that last comment from Annie. I've made a note here. The setup is the girls in departure lounge, gets her name called, think, oh, something's happened here. Wonder what this is. And then we get two pages of her kind of I ruminating know. about her name. <laughs> and, and it just killed it stone dead for me at, at that point. I thought, yeah, but, you know, that, that could have been condensed into a couple of lines, perhaps, uh, if, yeah. if, it, if it was that important. Uh, but it, it kind of, it, it, it had a, a decent start and then just stopped it dead for me because I thought, well, yeah, okay, I get the point. You're not happy with your name and you might want to change it and daddy, daddy, da. But it's so early on in the book. Um, I wonder if that could have been saved for somewhere else, perhaps. You weren't uh, intrigued by one. the setup. You didn't want to know, hmm, that's interesting. Why is she being called at the departure desk? And, you know, you would read on yeah. dutifully just to find out. You, it that's had the opposite a, effect a, on a, you, did it? Yes, it did. That's what I thought. No, what I'm saying is I thought, oh, you're right. wonder why they're calling her to the desk. Something's happened here, you know, or something's mm. about to happen. She's about to get arrested or something or, you know, whatever these things happen in in, uh, rest <laughs> in airports. But yeah. then just to have, you know, a, a, a real, real elongated piece about her name and her, her background just seemed yeah. inappropriate there. And I think if you're trying and, and I, I'm a self-confessed, I'm not a, a crash bang wallet merchant. I, I don't demand, a, you know, 
10 car chases and five explosions in the first three paragraphs of anything really but <laughs> it just got very mundane very quickly and, and the person can obviously write very well I mean the, the writing is very good but I, I, I suspect it needs a bit of a root out at the start and, and, and a rethink of just how it opens perhaps yeah, yeah. And Claire says, would make a good sci-fi film. Uh, Blood raises vague um, questions like, huh? Uh, which is not good. Um, Pamela Jo says, uh, like two women in love with the same cad. I think you're reading a lot into that, but who knows? You may be right. Uh, Lex says, plot twist. She was called to the desk because the desk provides childhood flashbacks. Problem solved. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know at all, but I do know that we want to hear from Catherine. What were your first reactions to that? <laughs> yeah, so a lot of them have uh, come up on the on in the chat, and I think I agree with a lot of them. I really loved the first line because it immediately gives you a sense of who it is and where you are in very few words. You know, you mm. know immediately every, all that information. But I agreed that the stuff about the name I think just came a little bit too soon. I don't think you need to get rid of it. I think you just need to move it a little bit later in the story yeah. once we know her a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the blurb, I thought, yeah, I, I wasn't, I didn't think me putting mediocre in there was um, a great idea just because it plants the idea in your reader's mind. Yeah, that, it does, that, it does, that doesn't it? Yeah. The story <laughs> might be mediocre, <laughs> which you don't want to do from the offset. Um, <laughs> And I did get some sort of sci-fi vibes from the end because I couldn't tell if she was kind of being uh, going into her memories in a in a way where she was exploring kind of what happened, or if she was being trapped in her memories in a kind of science fiction yeah. way, and with the woman next to her. So I think in terms of, of signaling what the genre is, there definitely was more you could do there to kind of tell us whether or not this was set in the real world or if it was literally about people who get trapped in their memories. Now, let's just talk about the genre for a moment because this, and actually I happen to know because I've, I've cheated to look at the next submission. The next submission also, they're both described as literary fiction. And I've got, I've got um, a, let, let's see how you feel like this because I, I often think that people describe their, their writing as literary fiction when they don't quite know what else to call it actually and it, yeah. you know from an agent's point of view it's not a turn-on what it means is you know if you really like it you're going to spend months if not years trying to sell this for a very small amount of money and nothing's going to come back i mean does it does it excite you with its commercial potential when you see something like that no because i assume i, I mean you know some literary fiction does really well and there's definitely a place for it but i assume literary fiction as a term means not much plot which isn't actually true. A lot of a lot yeah. of very good literary books have a lot of plot, but I sure. think I think it's sometimes worth, as you said, describing it a little more than just that because it, it sort of it, it signifies beautiful writing, but not that much going on. Yes, yes. <clears throat> How nicely put. I can tell you're a publisher. Let's have a look at the numbers here. You got a 59 so far, Spencer. Nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, that can change as the genii. Um, vote more up or more down. They can do that over the next few minutes. Uh, it's a good start, though. Good start to the show. Let's see what's next. And then, of course, we need to have a chat, actually, with Catherine. But I think we're going to look at submission number two, which we will do. Soul Trader. Soul Trader. Oh, my goodness me. It's literary fiction again. Here's from Tony. <laughs> Hello, Tony. If you're with us, give us a wave. If you're on YouTube at the moment or anywhere else from that, I'd just say hello. 
it's nice to know that you're out there somewhere. And this is Tony's blurb. Charlie Kenning does not must doesn't ask much from life. Born into the affluence of suburban England, he's quick off the starting blocks, but each hurdle becomes higher. Each landing leaves him in a darker place. Quick to succumb to the ravages of drug addiction and haunted by his demons, his fragile life is turned upside down until he hits rock bottom. An unexpected encounter could finally change his life forever as he teeters on the edge of hope. But is it enough to save him from an uncertain tomorrow? All right, I've just about got my head round that. Let me tell everybody about you, Tony. Um, I went to a school on which the first three chapters are based. One that portrays the impact of early life trauma that becomes manifest across the lifespan and how, for some, it sublimates into self-destruction from drug addiction. Doesn't sound like a great school, actually. And I think I probably want to, went to one of those as well, actually, so we've got something in common. Um, I chose to become a doctor, you say, only because I uh, wanted to be a psychiatrist. As we use words to convey emotion and have listened to personal narratives from my patients over 30 years. Ooh, my agent's um, instinct is uh, picking up there, actually. Hmm. Lots of interesting stories, I should think. Um, my writing is influenced by the baby boomer generation in which I grew up, where a permissive attitude to drugs was embedded in our culture. My writing reflects a Chekhovian Hmm. style plot, where closely knit relationships are a central focus of the plot. It weaves in the progression to heaven in Dante's Inferno with a twist in the tail. All right, I look forward to finding out what that twist is, uh, which will be beautifully revealed, I believe, by Ali. Soul Trader by Tony, read by Alison. He was born Charles Percival Kenning, but to his friends he was just playing Charlie, so the name just stuck. He would sometimes be reminded of that posh name that he so despised, as yet another blackboard rubber hurtled past him, usually as he whispered a dirty joke in the ear of whichever boy happened to be sitting in front of him. Soon after the projectile jettisoned across the classroom, and left a splatter of chalk on the rough wood floor, they would follow the familiar wells, Charles Kenning, you paying attention, boy! No one could have hoped for a better start in life. Charlie's parents made sure of that. Anything less than a private room in the maternity suite at Queen Catherine's Hospital in Fulham would have left Peter's business friends aghast. And so it was that with an obstetrician never far from Penny's bedside, and midwives positioned like crouching wicket-keepers, the stage was set for the silver spoon to be placed firmly in his mouth. If you've got the money to live the high life, why live the low life? The private member's room of the Chumley Manor golf course and country club echoed with laughter. Very witty, Peter. Very, very witty. Jimmy Tucker Jenkins raised a glass to the summit of privilege on which they had all been perched. As Peter Kenning stood at the 19th hole bar, cut glass tumbler in hand, the sky was the limit for his son. He had come from nothing, well, almost nothing, to become one of the richest entrepreneurs of his generation. A working-class lad and only child, his father a shopkeeper and mother a factory worker, he had crossed the social divide and would never want future generations to cross back over. Peter reveled in the newfound opulence that kept his ego afloat by rubbing shoulders with a high and mighty. Sir, Peter wasn't that far off. 
Then he looked enviously, wondering how he'd conquered the snowy peaks of the business world so quickly in his late twenties. It wasn't so much his intellect as his dogged audacity and on your bike philosophy that took no prisoners. Well suited to the business world. Very well indeed. Penny, or Penelope, as her mother addressed her, had first met Peter when she sat opposite him at a dinner hosted by the Guild of Gentlemen. Several years younger, free places were given to Oxbridge students with an interest in entrepreneurship, and he had lured her into his world of caviar and country walks. Charlie wasn't coming into this world without a fight. His passage halted for many hours, until the obstetrician carved an incision that released the slimy mass into the theatre of life. But there were to be no theatrics for Charlie. His lungs finally worked up into a bellowing cry that might even have been heard through the oak doors at the Kenning Diamonds board meeting in the city. Colleagues could have sworn that Peter's ears turned bright red the very moment Charlie entered the world, as the sun set on a West London skyline in the summer of 64. I'm really sorry, Penny love. I couldn't get away from that damn meeting. Peter looked flushed. He pushed open the door of the maternity suite room. Anyway, as a little bruiser. Peter, darling, I hope you're talking about our son. Penny's smile was infectious. She'd been through a lot, but had had the chance to take the forty winks she needed after baby boy Kenning had been cleaned, momentarily admired by his mother, and placed in the cot next to her. She could hear a faint gurgling and cooing while Peter stood over their bundle of joy. He's got your eyes, Penny laughed, which means he won't miss a trick. Oi, come here, you. Peter leaned over Penny and kissed her. So, what's it to be? They had already decided on a name. Penny wanted to know at the second scan whether the booties were going to be pink or blue. What about the middle name? Peter looked pensive. It's got to be something a bit posh. Rupert? said Penny, quizzically. Thank you very much, Ali, and more about Ali and indeed all our wonderful narrators. Uh, do you remember the link? It's voices dot. No, it's not. I didn't remember. It's voice. Voice. Don't use the. Don't use the plural. Voice dot dot com. Uh, let's see what the genie is saying. Lex says instead of labelling something literary, I use a grab bag of random draw genres. For example, I'm currently working on an abstract foreign western. I like that. What's <laughs> my <laughs> Uh, and Matt says, that's a, a brilliant description of literary fiction, all hat, no cowboy. Um, <laughs> and Vagabond says, yeah, for me, literary has to have far more beautiful prose than that. Uh, and he says, literary fiction can sell if it gets long or shortlisted for an award. Absolutely it can. And many of us have died on that hill, actually. <laughs> um, title sounds fantasy, says Hannah. Um, nice title, Annie. Blurb's a bit too vague for Ali Thomas. Is he an athlete? Um, and Hannah also says, if your life turns upside down and you hit rock bottom, are you going up or down? Very good. Very interesting. Love the title, says James. Blurb short on story. Uh, title works, says Matt. Agree on that. Um, Pamela Joe, title with the blurb makes me think I'd like the story. And Annie says, pick up a literary book and read the blurb. They're never this vague. Mm. Either blurb, okay. What makes this different from all the others? The same plot. Ah, uh, think about names this week, says Hannah. Not more names to bet, please, says L.A. Thomas and Vagabond. Charlie instead of Charles. Oh, how original. No wonder it's stuck. Um, Johnny. Oh, that's our Johnny. 
There's my life, she says right there. We'll find out about that in a moment. Uh, and Carol says, Bias says more than blurb gives hints. A traumatic experience in school, trying to self-medicate with drugs to cope, to heal past hurts. It's all backstory, says Annie. And Pamela Joe, voice reminds me of Rupert Everett's autobiography I've just listened to. I would listen to that. It sounds interesting. Thanks for the, the wreck. Um, and Penny and Peter, names too familiar. Oh, there's so much good stuff here. PC Frontier says, I like the title, that's good, but the start does not seem to relate to the title. And Carol says, beginning has no connection to blurb except for affluent family background. If starting to read per the blurb, I'd put this down. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but you've got to say it like it is, haven't you, Carol? And you certainly did. Let's see. Um, let's see what you say. Did, are you going to put this down? That's that's the key question, Catherine. Are you going to read on or just... I, I would read on. I, I thought the writing was good. It was uh, witty. I liked the bit about the midwives, like Wicket Keeper is crouching around the yeah, movie. That's quite good, laugh. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I thought on the... Um, I thought on the, I agree about the detail in the blurb. I thought the blurb had a lot of suspense, which was good, but I just, it didn't actually tell you what any of the hurdles or obstacles were. So it just, it sort of left you not really sure what to expect. So I think it could, in terms of the, of the kind of format of the blurb, it was good. It just needed a little bit more detail as to, as to what. In terms of the, um, the, the writing and and the prose i thought there was a lot about his dad very soon like and i started wondering i said oh you know is peter our hero or is it is it charlie i didn't really i i I sort of lost track of who it was that we were actually following um so i think again this is something where you can have that in but i think we need to get to know charlie a bit and charlie's start before we go back to to kind of about his the origins of his parents and actually what what they were saying about um it's starting very gently. I think if this is a book where it's all about him hitting rock bottom, maybe a prologue where we really see him in hot rock bottom before we go back to his incredibly, um, mm. you know, lovely, yeah. lovely privileged start to just really give us that contrast between where he ends up and where, you know, where he, where he comes from. Yeah. Yeah. So LA Thomas, I couldn't get into this. It was all over the place. Sorry. I kind of feel like that too. Johnny, do you get into it? Do you want to read on? I'd I'd make it a little little bit of extra, um, another chapter or something like that. But I I couldn't really sort of get into it. The the thing which I'd seen as Catherine said, I'd written down is um, uh, uh, midwives crouching like wicket keepers, which I thought was a great sort of visual image in in terms of like... uh, (laughs) It, it just yes. made me chuckle, but but I, I think a portrayal. The the comment I made in the chat room, my life right there, is this kind of perception <laughs> that golf clubs are this rarefied thing that haven't moved on really since um, I don't know 1920s. In some respects, they haven't, but it, it's it's not the pinnacle of uh, achievement anymore because they. Mm. I always argued that if they let people like me into a golf club, then they'll let anybody in. You know, it's well, not it's not the preserve Marks of the rich. In, wouldn't they actually? Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's not, it's not <laughs> yeah. the preserve of the rich man anymore, and uh, I, it does make me chuckle when I see that. Um, but but generally the story it, it felt a little bit you know generic almost for me at the times there was nothing there which mm. which, which was really super new um, I think it was competently written but I, I didn't have it as literary fiction um, but, no. but then literary, literary fiction is a, a, a term which 
I, I, I always kind of get alarm bells ringing a little bit when I hear somebody describing it as their work as literary fiction because there's a there's a sort of a little bit of an implied worthiness to it. Yeah, because it, it really which, is actually, but it, it can be sometimes. Obviously, yeah, it, it really yes, is. Yes, of course it can. Of course it can. It's yeah, more aspirational. Yeah, I think so. When you said when you said you know done, um, you know. Big, big, heavy hitting literary fiction. Then you can you can see it. But literary fiction is one of those things, and I think it's what you're saying, Pete. People sometimes will you know struggle to to put it to genre, so they sometimes choose that. And I think that sends out possibly slightly the wrong signals for pe people who may want to pick it up because this to me seems quite general quite, fiction. I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exactly what I would say. You know, and, and there's no bad. It's yes. not bad. You know, there's no 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 stigma attached to being general fiction. I think, and and, and you know, I, I guess sure. you would know better than, than that. You both would know much better than me. That I guess most subs that you, you get to, to look at are, will fall into the general fiction category, yes. in, in some respect. And yeah, and, 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 and great. You know, that's what, what a lot of us write. Mm -hmm. So uh, Pamela Jo has just put an image in my mind that's, that's burnt its way into my psyche and will never be removed. Um, uh, pictures, she says, pictures Johnny in plus fours and a tasseled Tam O'Shanter. Isn't that lovely? Oh, yeah, that's me. That's me, PJ. Yeah, that's me. Oh, my goodness gracious. The thing is, all right, the thing is, what really... I mean, I said this at the Times as I actually read it. What really rung a bell for me was uh, I've listened to personal narratives from my patients over 30 years. At that point, I thought, yeah. oh, yeah, very interesting. This is going to be real. It's going to be original. It's, it's, going, it's going to be some new stuff in there that we can sort of relate to on quite a, you know, a low-level, visceral basis. And I was hoping for that, mm. and I, just, I didn't get that. That really stuck out to me as well. If I, you know, if I had a pitch, if you're going to pitch this, I would definitely put that in the pitch. Uh, up front because that really made it feel very like it was going to be very real and raw and genuine yeah. to me yeah exactly yeah and that's what i was hoping for so my my expectations were raised there and i didn't quite deliver on that tony let's look at the numbers you got a 60 you just sneaked into the lead there i think by one point actually so let's have a little look at the score Yeah, you did. You're, you're winning at the moment. But we've got three more submissions. But before we look at the next submission, I think it's essential, actually, we do hear from Catherine. Now, Catherine, you've been in this business for more years than both of us perhaps would like to admit. But you're with a, you're with a brand new publisher. No, aren't you? So yeah. yeah, we're a startup. We're only a couple months old. Ah, well, yeah. we've, we've got you on here. We've got you on first. This is, let me introduce everybody to Storm Publishing. Look at that. Give your story the wings to fly. All right, give <laughs> us a background. Tell us all about it, please. Uh, so Storm Publishing is, is digital publishing, so we folk, which means that we focus primarily on the ebook and the audiobook when we're publishing. Um, although we do publish a print-on-demand paperback as well. There are quite a lot of digital publishers in, in the UK and US sure. now. It's something that I think more people are familiar with than they were maybe five years ago. Um, but we're a commercial publisher, commercial fiction, which means that we do mass mar the more kind of mass market side. So we don't tend to do literary fiction, but we do uh, general fiction and also some reading groups. So, hmm. I mean, I think you've probably talked a bit about that in the past, but, you yeah. know, slightly more upmarket. But for us, the really important thing are plot and characters, which is yeah. the kind of the way that you... And we do all genres in that area. So everything from romance, crime, science fiction, uh, historicals, women's fiction, rom romantic comedies, Fantastic. basically everything. I mean, I, I, yeah. I get ready for the avalanche of submissions you're going to get. 
Yeah. Well, please send it to us. I mean, we we, we really we're looking um, we're looking for submissions, and a lot of the authors that we've signed up, you know, don't have agents. They've not been published before. They, you know, I, I think it is a really great opportunity to get your work read by by a publisher because we, you know, we're reading every single thing that comes into us. Yeah. Now let's just talk about the the general. I mean, I'm I'm delighted to hear about a new publisher starting up, actually, because I mean, generally speaking, it's the opposite. It's not actually publishers going into business. It's normally, um, regrettably, from the agent's point of view, you know, <laughs> mergers and acquisitions and Simon and yeah. Schuster, which is a a nice big profitable international publisher, getting gobbled up by you know um, an even bigger publisher, which is not well, not then ungobbled up. But well, yeah, actually, yeah, <laughs> spat yeah. out again. <laughs> so, so what 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 type of insanity possessed you and everybody else involved in Storm to say, yeah, we can do this, let's go and do it. It's the right time right now. What made you do it? Well, so so Oliver, the, the founder, he's called Oliver Rhodes, um, set up a company called Bookature about 10 years ago, which was uh, one of the kind of first digital publishers in the UK. Um, and it was acquired by Hachette, uh, I think about five years ago, something like that. And I think he that acquisition went really well. Bookature is still doing really well as sure. part of Hachette, yeah. but I think he wanted yeah. to keep pushing the boundaries of, of the industry and keep finding new ways to publish and market. And it's not always easy to do that within the framework of a of a larger corporate publisher. Yeah. So I yeah. think for him, he was looking to, to start something new to see what else, you know, digital publishing is a really big area of the market, but to see what else he could do to, to, to sell the books to to make it, you know, um, yeah. well, yeah, and I, I see the Got question, it. how do you differentiate yeah, from Bookature? Yeah, I think it's just in the in the kind of first of all, it's quite bespoke. Like we don't have Bookature has a very large list with lots and lots and lots of authors now. Um, we don't have that, so we have a lot more uh, possibility to focus on on building an author's career from the first. It's also we are experimenting quite a lot with new technology. Some of that is on the front end, but some of it's on the back end too to let mm. to give publishers the time to really um, to really focus on on the kind of editing and packaging and not spend their time kind of filling out spreadsheets and putting in prices and, and things like that. So there's a lot of automation happening behind the scenes, which is really exciting as well. Um, um, I saw there was a knows. comment the about edit. Yeah. 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 You saw that. Okay. Go on. Yeah. Um, yes. We, in, in all of the ways that you would expect, we're, like a normal publisher, we do edits, the book gets copy edited, proofread, you have a cover, title, everything, audiobook. We produce all our audiobooks in-house. So if we take you on, we will do an audiobook. So it is from from the experience of the author, other than the format. So the book will not go into bookshops in a traditional sense. It, sh it will be the same as being published by a, a more traditional publisher. Got it. Got it. Um, and Lex says, Catherine, I think I'll throw a manuscript your way. You made yourself known. So remember, you brought this on yourself. Right. <laughs> I'm, I do. I'm, I'm ready for it. Any, you know, throw them all at me. Um, all we right. have a, I mean, we're still looking for things to publish this year. So, you know, this could be, you could have a book published by the end of the year if you send it to us. Wow. And you could submit via our website. So um, if you just go on our website, it's really easy. Those submissions yeah, go, go directly to me and the editorial team. Fantastic. Good. All right. Well, as, as Lex says, you may have brought this upon yourself. <laughs> yes, hopefully you, you, you'll you be... Uh, we'll see you again in about six years' time when you've coped with the, the, the tsunami of submissions you're going to get. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're going to get you to have a look at uh, a couple more submissions from us. 
right now. And here we are, submission number three. Today, the best day is Dara's of a flagging dad. Flagging dad! I like that. Me? Oh, I hope not. A flagging dad. It's from Andy. This is that. Oh, oh, the QR code there too, guys. You, you know, you know the drill by now. If you see a QR code, just scan it. Go to the website. Easy. I don't know what website it is though. It could be a complete prank. I don't know. It could be anything. Uh, Andy Carter is a man in his mid thirties. So this is talking about you, isn't it, Andy? Uh, from Leeds and the father of two young sons. Inspired by his popular blog, The Best Days, is a charming and hilarious insight into the delights and despairs of early parenthood. Nothing can prepare you for navigating life's biggest responsibility on three hours broken sleep. The thrills and spills of your 20s come to a shuddering halt, replaced by weaning woes, teething troubles and marital spats about whose turn it is to take shower oh dear <laughs> well i hope you weather the storm andy uh, i'm a 35 year old author you say from leeds and the creator of the flagging dad a humorous and relatable blog about being married with young children i've grown a fantastic readership over the past two years with my most popular posts getting eight thousand plus views and my facebook page generating 1500 likes i'm excited about the idea of developing my blog into a non-fiction book called the best days diaries of a flagging dad all right um yeah you know what that reminds me a bit of uh, of um uh, another frequent guest here emma robinson actually has got quite a similar website in fact she started in, in that kind of area too anyway that's by the by what's much more central and germane to this particular issue is this reading from jeff the best days by andy carter read by jeff joshua joshua was born on the 18th of november with a chunky eight pound ten ounces this was of course wonderful the 50 hours before he arrived, not so much. In trying to be a helpful husband, I made the error of flying in with the motivational mantras, you can do this, I'm so proud, I love you, approximately 28 hours too early, and, as I ran out of steam, Louise had to settle for a silent, increasingly feeble back rub and a forehead dab as she approached the business end of proceedings. I won't go into detail about the other stuff, what you see in films, water breaks, baby in arms, the beaming mother, misses out a significant amount. I can see why. It would be an awful film. Louise was incredible throughout, and we are over the moon to be parents. Joshua is cute and chubby, and I am happy to report that I'm a big fan. I'm pleased with his name too, although my Romanian colleague was unimpressed. <laughs> Joshua, well, that's okay, I guess. You should have called him a stronger name like Otto or Helmut. I am not calling my son Helmut. When Joshua was a few days old, I thought he and I were sharing a special moment. I was holding him in front of me, grinning and talking the nonsense you do to babies, when he stared into my eyes and his tiny mouth curled into a grin. His tiny mouth then fully opened and projectile vomited all over my new t-shirt. For the first time since a 241 night at Liquid Nightclub, I ran up to Louise, screaming and covered in sick. Oh my God, she said, dashing across the room to pick up a muslin, 
For the uninitiated, a muslin is a large flannel which is acceptable to carry in public, even if it's covered in vomit. I thought it was kind that my wife was rushing to my aid. Alas, she was not. She scowled at me, grabbed Joshua and dabbed a small speck of vomit away from his clothes with the muslin. Don't just stand there, Andy. Get him some new clothes. Get him some new clothes. This moment confers what I already knew. I am now the third most important person in my house. If I came third in my fantasy football league, I'd be quite pleased. There are 30 people in my fantasy football league, though. There are three people in my house. I will graciously accept this newfound role for now, I guess. What other options are there? Besides, a dad stays in the house increases and the baby gets older, doesn't it? Or is it all downhill from here until I spend my days sat in an armchair, staring into space and reminiscing about my wasted youth? Joshua tends to sleep in his box by the bed, a proper one designed for babies, not just a cardboard box in two-hour bursts before needing to be changed, fed or calmed down. Calming him down typically involves picking him up, bouncing around and trying to recreate the sound of a hairdryer. It's not just Joshua disrupting my sleep though. Three times now, Louise has woke up startled, shouting wild accusations. Where is he? Where have you put him? I haven't put him anywhere. He's in his box. Where did she think I'd put him? This new sleep pattern has, though, caused me to have extremely vivid dreams, one of which has led to the morning of my former life. I dreamt I was out with some friends in a bar in Leeds. Vivid, not necessarily imaginative. And one of my pals just brought a tray of brightly coloured drinks. It was going to be a great night. Joshua then started crying and within 30 seconds I was hunched over a two-low changing table, bleary-eyed while he pissed in an arc so high that it splashed into his own forehead. After I'd finally got him cleaned and changed into another t-shirt, he stopped crying. I picked him up. I looked deep into my son's eyes and thought, was there a Jaegerbon on that tray of drinks? Will I ever set foot in a bar again? I think generally positive reaction to that. Uh, Hannah says, oh, sorry, <laughs> let me show you the genius room. Hannah says, uh, yeah, it's a question for Catherine, actually. Let, let's, let's follow this now before we get into um, Andy's submissions. Catherine, um, Hannah wants to know, are you planning to expand into children's YA? Uh, so we're doing some YA at the moment, but it has to have a bit of a crossover audience. So basically the characters have to be a bit older and you have to, there has to be an adult audience for it as well. Maybe in the future for children's, but probably not in the next couple of years. Not immediately. Okay. So it's a, hold, yeah, hold back for right. a moment, guys. Hold back for a moment. Yeah. Right. So straight on to Vagamonda Heart. It says, Diary of a Flagging Dad is great. All you need, lose the first bit. Um, yeah, best days, diaries, diaries of Flagging Dad. Uh, a lot of people like that flagging thing uh we've got a blurb says la thomas kate says fucking don't like that uh la likes the blurb um well so this is self-help now um james yep like flagging dad pound of joe not sure about the title but tight blurb and kate says good to have a dad's humorous take to set beside the many from mum's going to talk about that in a moment actually is, too, is this going to be commercial or not i don't know Mum's, yes, dad's, I don't know, let's find out. Um, blurb clear to me, says James. Matt says, whose turn it is to take a shower is a good line. Title a bit long, um, according to NC, who's, who's Nick, Nick Cheatham from Head of Zeus, of course, who's our special guest last week. Does Catherine agree? We'll ask Catherine about that in a moment, actually, length of title. Love the title, love the blurb, says Jan. Uh, Pamela Jo, oh, the shower's taken to commentary from toddlers. Yes. 
I can imagine, actually. Um, and Carol says, title, maybe diary of a flagging dad, not plural, diaries. I agree with that as well. Um, uh, can one be inspired by one's own blog, says Carol? How about drawn from? Yeah. Um, and Carol also says something very interesting, too, actually. And I, I'm gonna, I've got two things to bounce off, um, Catherine. Um, maybe let the ancient or publisher decide if they're positive 8,000 views. And 1,500 likes is a fantastic readership. Mm. It's a bit on the low side from my point of view, but we can talk about it in a moment. Um, LA says, I don't read nonfiction. I don't have kids. I would read this. Oh. Uh, and Kate says, good, the humour is actually humorous. But Mal says, and this is the way with humour, isn't it? Humour does not work for me. Feels tired and trite. Sorry, Andy, but I've got to read the comments as they come through. And remember, genius room, always right, never wrong. Um, and Eva says, surprise us more, please. Yes, I, I, I think that's right. And Annie says, starting to feel a little too blog-like. We don't want just uh, pages from your blog, do we? Because we can get that for free. All right, Johnny, you've written a, you've written a, a successful humorous book in the past. First reactions. Yeah. I, I, I like this. Um, the, f the first thing I've written is I think there's good authorial voice here. I think the guy has got a nice voice uh, and he has a very, a nice lightness of touch, um, which, which you know, bowls it along nicely. I, I had one or two reservations about could this, towards what you were leaning towards at the end of what you were saying there, can, it, can this sustain a whole book, I wonder? I'm not too sure. Um, because a, a lot of the stuff, uh, you know, about sort of projectile vomiting and sort of kids pissing up in the air all over their parents, yeah. you know, with, you know the, yeah. the kids have had all that. So there's nothing particularly new in that, although it's presented here, you know, in, in, in a humorous way. And as I say, I, I do like um, the, the author's touch, sorry, I've forgotten his name. Is it Andy? Sorry, Andy. It's Andy, Andy yeah. 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 And he's, the touch is good and the humor is good. There, there's, there is plenty of funny stuff in it. But again, you know, I, I'm not quite sure who it's aimed at because uh, the people... You know, those of us uh, as potential readership who've got kids will relate to this quite quite readily and, and understand where it's coming from. But um, I just wonder about if it's longevity over you know three two or three hundred pages. Perhaps mm. will it keep going? But he's off to a good start, but he, he needs to keep it cranked up. I think. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I heard that sample was good, and, and and particularly I like his voice, and I think he could, he could probably lend that voice to writing more broader comedy, perhaps. Did, as well. the, did you? Let, sorry to interrupt, because you, you've made me think now, and I think about the sort of the prototype of, of, of um, not all of these books, but certainly in recent history, I think probably is Bridget Jones actually. It's kind yeah, of yeah, a little similar. bit like that. And with Bridget it Jones, is, yeah. of course, there was a lot more story, a lot a lot of story yeah. there that you could then could adapt into books and huge. Well, well exactly, and it was just the trials and tribulations of a, of a harassed and harried parent. I, I wonder if it'll sustain a whole book. So, mm. you know, if you can get a, a narrative into it, that, that would be better, I suspect. The other thing I, I meant to say as well, depending on what his numbers are, obviously publishers are looking for people who have well well set up on social media and who have, you know, legions of followers who are going to jump out and buy the book from day one. So that if, if the numbers are good, that's great. Um, you know, and if I were Andy, I'd be sort of banging that gong quite significantly, if, yeah. if that's the case. But... It, 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 it's it's one of those things. There's good and there's good. You know, to to the casual blogger who writes their own blog, uh, fifteen hundred hits might look good, but but in the scheme of things, it's not going to it's not going to particularly excite a publisher. I wouldn't have thought you were, we're well, looking into the tens of thousands. How excited are you, well, yeah. Catherine? <laughs> Well, I, 
I mean, I actually love this. I have a one and a half year old, so I was laughing uh-huh. out loud a lot because it resonated quite a lot with me as I was as I was reading it. Um, so yeah, I wrote down a lot of the same things that that I think if you're gonna say it's a popular blog, you should either put numbers if they're impressive because that's going to be the number one thing that publishers care about is yeah. that audience. And if you don't have those numbers, maybe put some accolades, maybe put something so, something that kind of is tell it talking a bit about engagement. Um, I, I was nodding what you were saying basically about, um, the, I, as you can see, I really like the writing, the writing made me laugh a lot. I think this either needs to go towards, as you said, a a kind of store, there needs to be a bigger story there, or it could go into a kind of self-help book with a central concept. I could totally see this as the intro to, you know, this was my experience having the baby and here are 10 things that new dads can do to make sure you don't make the mistake that I did or yes. whatever it was. I think you need either that. The thing about this, about it just being purely a story about being a dad with no central concept is that publishers, I think, are going to want a bigger name attached to that. Like you can see a celebrity doing a story about that. But mm. I think if you can come up with a really unique central concept, you know, of, of you know, my, my partner brought, he bought some dad books when our daughter was born. So they, there is a market for those. But I think you just need to have that kind of central hook. The hook isn't that you're a dad. The hook is that you're a dad who has a specific bit of in, important information to tell people so that they don't make the mistake of being peed on in the face like you did. Or <laughs> I was going to say, did you buy them as sort of light, light entertainment or as genuinely sort of self-help informative books? Because if, if the latter, and he follows <laughs> Andy's advice, he might get into a lot of trouble, possibly. Most of them were humorous. They were like, so they were, when we were kind of starting, like they were right before we had the baby, like first time dad, you know, like here are things you need to know about being a dad, basically. So I think that they, and you know, and they were humorous because that's what makes people want to read them. Um, The other thing I thought that um, could be included in the blurb, which is related to that is first of all, telling us a little bit more about what makes this different. So, you know, this obviously is a popular blog. What does it bring to the table that, people don't already know and also maybe other titles that your reader would read because yeah, i think that's so yeah. important with nonfiction. is saying like yeah. you know so somebody mentioned the unmumsy mum for mums that reminded me a lot of that so if you can mm. find the equivalent titles for dad and you say people who loved this love this then you yeah. get the publisher's mind working like oh that sold 100 million copies maybe this will do you know yeah <laughs> we like that we like that, that those numbers um i love it when you talk like that um, Peyton says, <laughs> Peyton says, reminding me of Jenny Lawson, but for guys, that's the, you go, you've got a comparator straight away. And she sells. And Vagabond Heart says, Jill Sims, Why Mummy Drinks. What a great title that is, isn't it? Why Mummy Drinks. Yeah. Uh, transferred well from blog, but she added more story structure. And there's a, there's a theme mm. for you, Andy. That's, that's what a lot of people are saying. Um, so story, story, story. Yeah, Jan says, might be interesting to explore how it impacts his relationship with his wife, how they navigate stress of it all. Oh, I think we're definitely going to uh, go there, don't you? Um, Pamela, uh, Pamela says, uh, my husband really enjoyed a how-to book written by a man. Uh, taught him the, f- the the football hold for newborns. The football hold. I haven't heard of that one. Uh, <laughs> basically, your thumb goes in the mouth and then baby lies along the forearm. Jeez. <laughs> right. Yes. Matt says something interesting here too, actually. 
Yeah, and there's a, a dose of reality because we're all quite enthusiastic. One issue with converting a blog to a book, the fact-checking bar for a book is crazily high. It totally is, actually. A uh, book mm -hmm. has to be more than just my life as a dad, and I think that's true. I just want to ask you, actually, um, uh, sorry, I, I, Catherine, um, in terms of um, readership here, uh, or sales potential, right? So would this be, putting your commercial hat on, would this be something that men would buy themselves? Or do you think it might be one of those sort of deferred, sort of one generation removed sale where, you know, the uh, the wife buys it for the husband? Yeah, or the parent or the mum buy it yeah. as well, in the, else the dad's yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see it being a gift book. It might be a gift book. Um, gift especially if you could had, be a gift too. Yeah. 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 yeah, with little illustrations and a kind of fun cover, like yeah. you could, you could definitely yeah. see it, see that working. I mean, I, you know, I think, I think that it, it would have really high potential. I think it just needs to have more of a one line, yeah. you know, what it's telling the reader. I but yeah, right. I really loved it. Yeah, gift book, gift book. Think, think, gift book, Andy. Thank you, thank you so much, Catherine. That's absolutely the right way to think about it. Judgment time. You've romped into the lead there, haven't you, hey, Andy? Gosh. 73 points, my word. Um, seven, I, I need to, yes, I wrote something last time as well. I need to ask Catherine about uh, long titles, short titles. At the moment, this is this is a very long title. What do you think about long titles? Are they doable or do you just want eight letter titles? No, I think they're fine. They can work sometimes. Um, I actually saw the episode where, where Nick said it was a short title was better. It depends oh, on did what you? it is. I mean, yeah, if, if, if the, I mean, yes, I agree that sometimes for like a thriller or something, it could be better to have a shorter title, but for something like this, if, if it's being taken from the blog, it should be called the same thing as the blog. I mean, yeah, you can always change yeah. the blog's name if you change the but, but that for me, that seems like an obvious connection yeah. and I think you can make it work. I mean, it is. Yeah. You could call this nappy or <laughs> diaper or I don't know what. Really. <laughs> no, it wouldn't, wouldn't work quite yeah. well. Fantastic. Good. Well, I hope you're very happy with that, Andy. Uh, you are absolutely in the running there, I think, to be the uh, winner of the month. We have one more show next week. And we have two more submissions. Oh, this is interesting. This is very interesting. This is from Sheila. QR code again. Fantastic. Oh, lots of QR codes this week. So pleased that you're sending us those links. This is from Sheila. And I know that Sheila, because of the bio she sent, is actually a vicar. She's a vicar. How interesting. Uh, and this is uh, the Judas Within YA slash new adult thriller. And this is Sheila's blurb. Broken lives are the only things grief-stricken Jude Carter and PTSD sufferer Cora Jones believe they have in common. But can love teaches them how can love teach them? Oh, so many mistakes in the blurb this week. And it kind of throws me, actually. But can love mm. teach them how wrong they are when history threatens to repeat itself once more. Both fled their Bible Belt, Tennessee hometown, as teenagers to escape tormented memories of lost love and innocence. Ten years later, love brings them together, giving them the courage to return home to live. When family secrets unfold and trust misplaced, history looks to set to repeat. And you've been alluded there, but I know there's a. I know it's. Itself, I know. I'm guessing that, but remember, you've only got a certain number of characters. It does count you down on the website. So if you go over, you get cut off. Yeah, website. 
fur, but fur. Um, let me tell people a bit more about you. Uh, I'm a vicar living in the northwest of England who seeks to bring stories of ordinary people dealing with contemporary issues of faith and life to the widest audience, despite being dyslexic. Published work includes The Right Life, that's WR, The Right Life, The Association of Christian Writers Handbook, um, and National Natural Talent, a YA crossover novel, self-published in 2008, for which I received an Arts Council Northeast, where I lived at the time, development bursary. Good, well done. That's so you're on the path to something, I hope. Um, and I am more delighted than usual, actually, to say that this is going to be read by a narrator I particularly enjoy listening to is Martin. The Judas Within, Chapter 1, Sphinx, Tennessee, USA, September 1992. Jude registered the haunted expression on his bride's face a split second before he crashed against the log cabin wall. A sharp searing pain burned through his nose and cheekbones as Dirtface's knuckles smashed into his nasal bone. He crumpled to the floor, tasing warm, sticky blood dribbling down from his nostrils. Did history have to repeat itself, he pleaded, as he stared up into the pitiless eyes of the architect of their pasts, unmasked and real as the blood in his mouth. Dirtface pushed his way into the confined living area. While both men were of a similar age and stature, Jude knew he was no match for the man who laid him out flat. Dirtface loomed over him, a figure moulded by hard living. He knew how to brawl. The years of good living had not mellowed him or softened his blows. Deep raven eyes flanked the gnarled broken nose, a trophy from the fights where he had given more back than he had got. With a hand, he lifted Jude up by his shirt. One side of his lip curled up, revealing nicotine-stained teeth, chipped and neglected. When I'm finished with you, he hissed, me and pretty thing here are gonna get reacquainted. Just the two of us. Jude trembled at the words. Each shudder ran like an ice bolt through his body. Not quite the night you had in mind, eh, Jude? A demonic grin, worthy of the architect of Cora's nightmares, filled his vision. Making the most of his agile fingers from years of labour and piano playing, Jude stretched out his hand in the dim light for something to grab. If he could just get up, get up and fight the low life. Cora emerged from the bedroom behind Dirtface, lit by the soft glow, dishevelled strands of auburn hair falling over her terrified face. Cora swung her raised arms down, smashing the iron end lamp end down onto Dirtface's head. She let it go and clawed at his eyes. Dirtface let out an anguished howl, hands flying to his face. Jude wriggled free from underneath Dirtface and kicked him in the stomach, knocking him off balance. Get out! Jude yelled to Cora. He motioned to the front door with one hand and wiped blood from his face with the other. Go! Dirtface scrambled to his feet and with the ungainly elegance of a giraffe as his long legs straightened out and turned to Cora, an arm raised and fish clenched. An unhinged grin spread across his lips as he punched her, 
the blow smashed against the side of her head, lifting her off the ground with its force. She collided into the bookcase by the bedroom door and fell to the ground. Dirtface spun round to Jude, drawing back an arm. Behind, Cora laid still. Jude tilted his head up and fought to ignore the fermenting anger welling up inside him. He had to kept control. He fixed his gaze on Dirtface and raised his fist ready, like Pa had taught him. Dirtface ducked and rammed his head into Jude's flat belly, knocking him against the kitchenette bar. His knees buckled at the winded blow. He stretched his arms out to steady himself. Dirtface grabbed them, swung him round, and his arms locked behind Jude. Dirtface hauled him through the gap of the open screen door to the outside. Cool night breeze filled Jude's mouth as it replaced the warmth of the lakeside cabin. The outside, outdoors tepid temperature seeped through his clothes, causing goosebumps on his skin. Fresh air wiped the foggy mist that filled his head. His boots trampled the dry, brittle grass as Dirtface dragged him onto the tea dock towards its edge, several feet out over the lake. Each step stamped inside his mind. If he could only go back, but where? When? I can't. I, sometimes I don't press my own buttons, you know. And uh, besides which, I, I have an apology to make about the uh, background music that went on for 15, 15 20 seconds. There. Everything is is set up. It's, it's all coded here in advance. I mean, huge amounts of code. And it uh, it didn't. It it should have stopped the music, and it didn't. It didn't. I'll have to look at the bleeding code again. Apologies for that, and I hope it didn't ruin things too much for you. Uh, let's see what the genie is saying. Um, Dirtface is a great villain name, says Matt. Oh, I agree. It's great. Dirtface. It says everything, doesn't it? Uh, Carol says, uh, title, does this fit YA? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling a bit personally, yeah, to, to find the YA in this. Uh, Kate says, personal preference, prose will be stronger with fewer adjectives. Pamela Joe already cut all the adjectives and allow them back one at a time. Hmm. Write it without before you do. Writing pretty good, says Annie. I actually thought I liked the, uh, the action scene personally. Uh, not getting YA yet. Karen says, I'd, I'd skip new adult genre designation. And, and he also says, this is a prologue, Hannah. Hannah, not a great beginning for YA. That's the thing. It's sort of fighting against the genre, I think. Let dirt faces, rather nasty action, says Matt, define him. For now, at least. No need for backstory. Um, Claire says, Dirtface is like a pantomime villain. Yeah, he's a two-dimensional character, but what? what? Mel says, no, this is true. Gritty stuff for a vicar. It is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a new sub-genre. It's called Grit Vic. <laughs> oh, we've just invented a sub-genre. What did you think, Catherine? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well written, and it was an exciting, intriguing start. It was quite crimey. Um, a few things kind of came up to me while I'm just looking at my notes. A few things came up to me while I was reading. First, um, she says she's in the north. The author says she's in the northwest of England, but it's U.S. Yeah. set, yeah. which uh, it's one way to piss off American readers is I didn't see any issues in terms of that. You know, I'm American, but you do have to be careful when you're I mean, it could be that she's. Mm she is american and living there but just always be careful when you're uh setting it in a different country from your own yeah, because yeah. readers can be very sensitive about that um 
the title felt very literary to me and very male. And then what, and I would say one thing, the YA readership, if this is YA, the YA readership is very female and is often from a female perspective, at least the ones that sell a lot. And I did, I was aware that even though I thought that the fight between them was really good and intriguing and it left it on an intriguing ending that it was two guys fighting yeah, <laughs> uh, in a kind of very really. intense. Yeah. And, and for me, that wouldn't, the typical YA readership, that wouldn't fit with me of what, you know, what I would yeah. expect them to, to like, yeah. you know, at, one way you could do is you could put it in her point in Cora's point of view, or, you know, I haven't read the rest of the story. It could be that it, it, there is more of a kind of female perspective in there, but I would say that definitely would be a big thing when considering this, to me yeah. but overall thank i you. thought that the writing was very good fantastic thank you very much Catherine and johnny yeah i enjoyed quite a few aspects of it i've, I've got i've written down here john wayne and and to me it just comes across i, I don't know why but and there's nothing to make it sound like that, but it, it, it reads or feels a bit like a western to me this, yeah. this scene I, yeah. I i get the feeling yeah. that it's it's like a couple of western characters rather than a a, a ya type thing uh, but yeah, it was not I quite like the title as well. But th th there was <laughs> there was a bit of it in the middle where um, where they sort of bumble out, outside in the middle of the struggle outside, and all of a sudden um, the guy takes time to sort of observe the air and feel the cool the cool air on his on his you know skin and all the rest, while while the other guy's knocking seven bells out of him. That's and right. I think you know I, I, I thought <laughs> I thought that was kind of peculiar because I think you know it, if you're trying to portray Hurley Burley in a, in a fight. You're not going to say, oh, is that a lesser spotted aardvark over there or something like that? You know, you're, you're sort of there with fists up and sort of pummeling, uh, pummeling back at people. And uh, for me, some people have said the fight scene worked, and I think it did work up to a point. But I think it needs, I think it needs a bit more urgency about it, and maybe trimmed a bit here and there. It just, it, 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 it almost felt. Um, worked out rather i know you've got you know as a writer of course we all have to work these things out but i think it could for me the pros just stuck in, in places and, yeah. and particularly in that bit which i've highlighted the bit where we had a kind of an interlude and then oh right back to the fight again and, and I'm, I'm not i'm not sure that fits in there but that's just personal preference you know other people may well like that uh but yeah i, I quite enjoyed it but i, I was getting an overall f f feeling of a, a western more more than a, um, a cowboy yeah, sort of setup actually, rather than anything yeah. else yeah, but I, there may have been a word in there which triggered it. I, I don't know what it was. I, I just I got the impression we were in a little sort of little house in the prairie type wooden shack rather than a, a modern apartment or something like that. And um, yeah, but but yeah, yeah, workman like I think it was workman like definitely. Publisher once said to me some years ago, "All all I'm looking for really is just is is you know the author to show me just one thing they can do really well, and I, and then mm. that's enough for me to 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 work with them." And um, I, I agree with all the criticism, but also Kate says here, lots of action, but needs to connect more strongly with the characters. And E.G. Uh, e. Logan says after that, writing fights is harder than many think. It is. Yeah. Action scenes are hard to write. And I think, Sheila, you actually handle that quite well. And that, that for me, would be the thing that says, oh, okay, you can do that. You can, you can write, you know, at least serviceable action scenes that most people can't do. And I would sort of... I, you know that for me um, has has given you good marks on the on the craft front, mm. but the whole context of it, I don't know. And then I think Lex points out, doesn't he? Ouch, ouch, ouch! He says so many typos. I fear an editor would not be merciful. And you know, without being too anal about typos, because you know you can get very hung up on them. I mean, the thing, what they do from you know my point of view, you can hear it, and you can see it actually when I, when I read them out, they throw me. 
and I'm, I just have to go, yeah. oh, oh, what's happening there? Mm. And I have to look, look twice. And you don't want that in a narrative, particularly. You don't want that. So let's look at the numbers. You got a 64, Sheila. Good in part. Secure its egg. A vicar's egg. And we've invented a new genre. How good is that? <laughs> We go up to the last submission of the day, uh, which is Sleepless from Alex. Now, Alex has got quite a task in his hands because if he's to win the show, he's to be 74 points that Andy's got. It's quite a job, but he's probably up to it. Let's see. It's urban fantasy. Oh, I like that. Urban exploration, urbex, urban fantasy, maybe. Sleepless. Do you like that title? I think Nick Cheatham would like that. I like it. But, like, what's that title? A film a few years ago, Insomnia. Okay. Um, Sleepless is a character-driven new adult modern fantasy thriller. A good omens meets guilty pleasures mystery about the risk and necessity of relationships in a messy and uncertain world. Sleepless follows the Sam Greggers, a woman who has never slept. The Sam Greggers. I don't get that. Maybe it might be stupid. Uh, genius Room will tell me in a minute. Sleepless follows the Sam Greggers, a woman who's never slept, not a single wink, in her whole life. That's interesting. She's never been able to learn why, not until the day a series of strange happenings turn her whole world upside down. All right. So I'm still kind of a bit hung up on that sentence, but the genie will enlighten me. And I'll tell everybody about Alex. Alex Campbell is a new writer with a passion for a wide variety of genres. Sleepless is their first novel. And we will be delighted and uh, ecstatic, no less, to have this reading of Sleepless by Hannah. Sleepless by Alex. Read by Hannah At 8.53pm, Sam Grebgers opened the third floor window to her bedroom, stepped out onto the ledge and shut the window behind her. With confidence, out of proportion to her experience, she turned to face the brick wall behind her and began to climb. She only had a short way to go. She lived on the top floor of her three-storey apartment building. There was nothing glamorous in this fact. True, she probably had a better view of the local gas station than the average apartment dweller in northeast DC, but that was nothing to brag about. Her left hand reached the lip of the roof and she pulled herself up. The scene might have been noteworthy, except for one fact. She had made the same trek the night before. She could have taken the fire escape, that would be safer. But the fire escape was outside the living room window. She would have risked bumping into her roommate to get to it, and she wasn't in the mood to talk. She walked along the roof slip to the corner overlooking the intersection below and sat down watching a lighted window in a building across the street. The blinds were drawn. She couldn't see inside, just the illumination of the room within. That wasn't a problem. It was the light itself and what it meant that interested her. 
at 8.57 p.m., that light went dark. She smiled. Sam liked watching people fall asleep. For as long as she could remember, she had never slept, napped, dozed off, or felt drowsy. Not even once. She had no idea why. Seeing others slide off into the land of slumber held that allure of the exotic and unknown. Once, while riding the metro, she'd heard someone talking on the phone with an airline. They were changing a reservation for a flight to Bulgaria. As she listened, Sam realised that she knew nothing at all about Bulgaria, apart from its name. And so, onto the blank canvas of her ignorance, she painted a thousand fantastic images of what might await a traveller when their flight landed. The idea of sleep was every bit as magical for Sam. Unfortunately, her interest in seeing others go to sleep and her concern for respecting their privacy were at odds. Watching apartment lights go out while their occupants went to bed was a sort of compromise. She craned her neck around until she caught sight of the glow streaming from another window three blocks up. She watched until it had gone out as well. She turned to find another. Three hours later, there were very few lights left to watch anywhere. She was working on a stubbornly lit penthouse, far in the distance, when she heard the soft, repetitive ringing of feet climbing the fire escape. Sam tensed. It was difficult to imagine a good ending to a chance rooftop encounter with a stranger at midnight. Behind her, two tired, played slippers landed on the roof and found a wobbly footing. Some five feet above them, separated by an expanse of green and blue polka dot terry cloth, someone cleared his throat and spoke. He bore a tone of gentle concern, mixed with annoyance that its said concern had been raised from a sound sleep. Sam's shoulders relaxed with recognition. Her stare softened. What are you doing? The voice asked. Watching, Sam replied. The penthouse lights still burned bright, but seemed to be wavering. You shouldn't have come up here, Sam continued. Our lease says we lose the security deposit if we're out on the fire escape. Well, that's just dumb. What are we supposed to do if there's a fire? Anyway, you used it first, the voice replied, as its tone shifted from annoyed to, annoyed to defensive. No, Sam answered. The penthouse light clicked out in resignation. She smiled and turned to face her roommate. I climbed from my window. Abe's eye drifted up and to the left, as she looked for some sensible place to file this last statement away. After a moment, he abandoned the effort. Thank you very much, Hannah. Another good one there, uh, voice.litopia.com. You can check out all our wonderful narrators and hire them too for your audiobook. Uh, Matt is saying in the Genius Room, Blurb might be better starting with Sam Gregor's Hasn't Slept Ever. I agree, because for me, that's the central point of intrigue, actually. Um, Pamela Joe, a lot of people are, are going sleep, sleepless in Seattle. That's the association they have. It's, it's not for me, um, I'm thinking insomnia, but. You know, the majority, genius team, never wrong. Um, Hannah, our narrator, likes the title. Um, 
LA says, uh, lose the first paragraph of the blurb, and Lex says, the Sam Gregors? Uh, a conflict is too vague. He says, this is urban fantasy. Uh, I want to like this. Polish the bourbon. Let's go! <laughs> so enthusiastic. Uh, James says, cut the first half of the blurb. Work on the second half. Like the title, says Carol Matt. I like the title too, but can't help thinking in Seattle and rom-com. So you are going to be a bit dogged by that association, I think. Pamela Joe says something interesting. You can actually die from lack of sleep. I, I, I read about that. It was some DJ mm-hmm. was in the States in the yeah. 1950s. And he, he did. He died. He yeah. died. Yeah. So what's he like? I want to know what it's like. I don't want to know uh, climbing on Bill. What does he feel like in there? You know? And he's got all these CEOs these days, haven't you? Who are, who are yeah, sleep is for, for wimps. I just have two and a half hours every week. And, and all this kind of shit. And you think, actually, what's it like? What's it really like? Uh, blurb needs more stories, says Carol. Too general. How does... She managed leaving her sleeping, just what I'm saying, just what I'm asking for. No. Bizarre but engaging opening, says Annie, is always thoughtful. Certainly want to know why she's claiming about the war. And Hannah says, this is a nice, easy read. Watching Lights Go Out is rather boring, and this needs to progress at a faster pace. And Kate says, reminds me a bit of the opening to Colleen Hoover's It Ends With Us. Does it? Interesting comparison. Let's see what Catherine thought. Um... Yeah, so I thought the blurb was really good. I agree that you could almost turn it on your head. I thought the positioning was really good in the blurb, but the thing about not sleeping really is the central hook of it and really intriguing. Um, I also wrote down medically, technically, you die. Yeah, that would be it, wouldn't it? I thought that the, the, the opening of the text was really good. It was really suspenseful because she kind of goes out of her window and you think she might jump, but in fact she turns around and climbs upwards, which I thought was yeah. a really good kind of twist on what you expect. But then it felt to me like it kind of petered off. Like first then she's watching the window and you're really intrigued mm-hmm. about that. And then it just becomes less and less yeah. suspenseful as you go on. So I felt like there was a little work you could do there to kind of keep up that level of intrigue yeah. that you introduced at the very beginning. Um, I also thought that for YA, YA tends to be a very emotional writing. You know, a lot of it is about feelings, kind of what you said about being in her head. I think we needed more feelings in there, basically. Um, I thought that the writing was very competent and very accomplished, but I just thought it needed a little bit more kind of gritty, uh, gritty emotion in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what um, the, the consensus of the junior is saying. Uh, Vagabond says, the girl who never sleeps is an intriguing concept, but this, this is rather bland. I think that's an interesting title, actually. The girl that is a good sleeps. title. That's a good title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. More, more than eight letters, though. Um, and there's some uh, POV swapping, uh, LA, LA points out. Um, I would write, rewrite this in a different tone, says Chloe. Make it more mysterious than PC Frontier. Uh, which I think used to be a computer store in the 1980s, didn't it? Or am I wrong? I like the concept of someone who can never sleep, but sorry, I thought the start was a bit of a letdown, too much reflection. And Matt says, wondering, is Sam Greg an intentional reference to Gregor Samsa? Well spotted, I wonder. I wonder if that is intentional. Um, yeah, maybe write in first, ten- first person, says Ali Thomas, instead of third, and I think I-, I would definitely do that. What did you think, Johnny? Mm. Yep, I enjoyed uh, a lot of that and uh, we'd chime with what Catherine said uh, in particular. Um, the, the more it went on, it kind of ran out of gas a little bit towards the end. But it was a real great opening for me. It was a real WTF moment 
you know, mm-hmm. what, hang on, what's a spider woman climbing up the building? What's all that about? You know, immediately you think, what's going on? You have to know more about that. I thought it was creepy where she sat, where the protagonist sat, and, and you know, her thing was, this, was to peer at lights behind, you know, lit, lit rooms and wait for them to go out. I thought, it was again, that was quite arresting and, and quite mm-hmm. almost like a creepy ethereal sort of feel to it. But... After that, it, you know, the, the, the roommate coming up, the fire escape was okay. But by that stage, I think I th- we needed to see something else. We, there should have been, it should have moved on to something else, I think, but I'm not quite sure what. Uh, but it, it was enough intrigue to keep me going. I'd certainly want to read the next chapter or the, or the next, Good. you know, yes. Four or five pages or whatever, yeah. um, and I think that I think the, the writing was good, and, and I think and another mention for me for voice, I thought the, the, the writer's voice was good here as well. I think the prose yeah. was good, and I think there was a voice came out of it. It wasn't bland; uh, it had that indefinable thing of voice, um, and I, I think that's a, a big plus. That's something I always look for when, I, when I'm, you know, books I'm I'm, I'm reading and enjoying. Absolutely, and Kate, Kate, just uh, I haven't voted yet, Pete. By the way, I'm, I better vote. Yeah, I'm off okay. to vote. Fantastic. Kate, Kate also says, I read I read that sleep deprivation will kill you faster than the hunger or thirst in terms of what the human body actually needs to function. Lack of air will kill you fastest and lack of sleep is second. And um, uh, yeah, Pamela Joe says, yeah, yeah, absolutely, Kate. How do we survive parenthood? Yes. <laughs> Which circles back, of course, to uh, Andy Carter's uh, submission, The Best Days, Diaries of Flagging Dad. Indeed. Um, have you voted, Johnny? I have voted, yeah. Have oh, we got your numbers? We've got your numbers in there. So that means we can press the judgment button. You've got a 66, Alex. I wouldn't be unhappy with that at all. I think we all uh, were intrigued by your concept there. Um, and hopefully you've got some enormous amounts of real-time interaction there from real, genuine people, actually, and people who don't, you know, wish you ill, and quite the opposite. I mean, they're, they're writers themselves, actually. But they've, they've got to tell the truth, the GDI do, and there's always enormous amounts to to pour through in the genius room. So if you're watching the recording of this, just pause it, read everything they say. You may agree, you may disagree, but at least give, you, give yourself the chance to see... Um, what they say. I think it's pretty clear we do have a winner. Yeah, it's uh, it's a strong one. You got a 73. It's gone down a little bit since we looked last time, but that's what happens when the genii vote. Um, it can go up and down. You got a 73 there, and that is very good news. For- <laughs> Absolutely in the running for winner of the month. You could be. All depends on next week's show. Well, you're like that. And I think it's safe to say we all like you, Catherine. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you. Well, thanks for having me. How exhausting was it for you? How emotionally draining? Oh, I loved it. It was really oh, good. You? I loved it being read out loud as well. Yeah, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and find it so great to just be to be uh, read to like that. Yeah, me too. Well, me I think too. it's safe to say that uh, one of our um, two amazing uh, booking producers will be in touch with you. And I know, I know she's in, in the genius room right now and she will be emailing you within 30 seconds of the show ending to see if you're kindly allowed to come back again and hopefully you'll accept. In the meantime, yeah. I, let's put that card up again, actually. Let's put that card up. Um, yeah, here we go. Because we want everyone to know about it. 
it's Storm Publishing. And just stormpublishing.co. It's not co-uk. It's not .com. It's just yeah. co. Stormpublishing.co. Yeah. And you'll find, you'll find Catherine there together with all her associates. And since I'm uh, showing some cards at the end, next week, guys, next week, it's the girl who fell beneath the sea. I think you're going to like it. You know what? If you like Studio Ghibli stuff from uh, Japan, I think you're going to like this. It's got that same vibe to it. Club.latopia.com. You've got seven days to read that and join in next week. And we will show you, we will see you exactly the same time next week too. Take care. Hit it!